0: chapter 6 tonight. So uh, open your Bibles to chapter 6, and we'll pray right now. Father, we're so grateful that um, you know and love us, and uh, we do pray, Lord, for those that are in harm's way. Right now, the fires that are raging here in Southern California, we just pray for safety for people, and and, uh, for those that have already lost homes or are struggling right now. We we just ask, God, that you would bring peace to their hearts. And, and Father, we do ask that you would uh, subs- just make the wind subside, please, and bring rain to our hillsides. We just pray for that. We're grateful, Lord, for your goodness and mercy in our lives. We thank you, God. You're so faithful to us. And tonight, as we open up Exodus chapter 6, we pray that you would teach us, Lord. That there's many, many lessons for us, many Uh, ways to apply your word, and I pray that we would hear and understand your word tonight. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Chapter 6 in Exodus is where we find ourselves as we work our way through this wonderful Old Testament book. If you remember last week in chapter 5, Moses got the courage, and he went to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go for the first time, and Pharaoh said, who are you and who is your God? I'm God of Egypt, so get lost. In fact, the people that listen to you and slow down production, they're going to make way more bricks. They're not going to have. He str- made it really hard on the, the children of Israel. And so the children of Israel, they reject, they reject Moses. And it seems like the whip just began to crack even more over the backs of these slaves, these uh, God's people. Tens of thousands of them have been living as slaves. They've been living and dying there in Egypt. And they prayed, and God's heard their prayer, but God is doing something in their lives to get them to realize that it's not good to be here. They were so comfortable living the same old and doing the same old that God had to allow some more suffering in a sense so that they don't want to stay there anymore. God's already told Moses, I'm going to use you to get them out of there. Go and obey. And he's already told Moses it's not going to get easy. You're going to have to go to, to uh, Pharaoh over and over and over again. His heart's going to get harder and harder. God's already told Moses that. But Moses kind of puts his tail under his between his legs and runs back to God and prays. That was the end of chapter 5. And we can look at it really quick. It's chapter 5. Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and asks the Lord three questions, you'll recall. Chapter 5, verse 22, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you sent me? Because I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name. Ever since I've done that, he's done evil to your people. Neither has he delivered your people at all. What's going on, God? It's not working. You sent me here, but it's not working. Moses' three questions just... Help us to understand that he did not understand. In other words, he misunderstands God's plan for the children of Israel and all the suffering that they're going through and the the whips and the slavery and the hardships that they're enduring. He doesn't get it either. Again, God is trying to make his people uncomfortable in Egypt. He wants them to make that decision. We've got to leave. We have to turn back to God and trust him. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and our father Jacob and promising us a land. And here we are slaves. God is trying to remind them and get them to be uncomfortable where they are. So Moses asks these questions there at the end of chapter 5. And in verse 1 of chapter 6, notice with me, Then the Lord said to Moses in response to his questions, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now that he's rejected you and your people have rejected you, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh for with a strong hand, because I'm going to start persecuting Pharaoh. He's going to kick you guys out of the country. So God's got a purpose for all the suffering, all the struggle. By a strong hand, he will let them go, and a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So God's going to work to get... Pharaoh to kick the children of Israel out of Egypt. Again, the Lord tells Moses that Pharaoh will not let Israel go. He's already told him that. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to do this over and over. But when I'm finished with Pharaoh, God says to Moses, he's going to want them to go. And, you know, we know the story. But, again, (laughs) this is just proving this truth to Moses. God is in control, not Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the God of Egypt in his mind, but God is going to conquer him, and God is ultimately in control. God has a purpose for the suffering and and all of it. Now, we come to verse 2, and God is going to reassure Moses and make a promise. And in this promise, this is epic, just a few verses, because you'll notice at the end uh, of this chapter, it's all genealogy, and we're not going to spend much time there. But I've entitled this message trusting in his name because these people have to learn to trust in his name and it's his name that's being introduced here again to Moses just like at the burning bush. Who, what God should I tell him? Who, who are you? Remember God said I am that I am. And again he's going to introduce himself through Moses to the people. And that's what's happening and we're to trust in his name. They are to trust in his name. So let's just read this section from verse 2 down to verse 9 in chapter 6, and God spoke to Moses, and he said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, and Which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, verse 6, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel but they did not listen or heed Moses because of anguish they were out of breath they were working hard all the cruelty that was going on their bondage now in this text we find pharaoh he is really at the height of his pri- pri- pride he he owns everything he sees himself as a god and again that's how the egyptians viewed pharaoh Moses is confused because he went to Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't let the people go. He did what God told him to do. He forgot that God told him he had to do it over and over again. And he's confused. And when God shows up again to reassure reassure Moses, and that's what we're seeing here from verse 2 on, it's God's words that bring encouragement to Moses. And and it encourages him right away. But he can't, for some reason, convey He's having a hard time conveying that to the children of Israel. But it's all really about verse 3 there, and God is speaking directly to Moses. And this is how we can apply even the word that we're looking at tonight. Because here we have scaredy-cat, unfaithful Moses on one hand. And you have God on the other speaking these wonderful words of assurance and, and encouragement God's word. He's trying to encourage him. And I think that each one of us have been in the same place that Moses finds himself here. We've read the word. We know the truth of God. God's worked in our lives before. And then something happens. Something we we come up against. It could be financial. It could be marital. It could be a lot of different things. But it just, it, it just takes your breath away and you're You're in bondage, and you don't know what to do, and you're not trusting the Lord. You're not looking at God. You're looking at your situation, and that's really what we're seeing here. So this is what God does, and I've got a couple of points here. Number one in verse two, God confirms his name. God's confirming his name to Moses. You've got to get your eyes back on me. That's really what God is saying. Again, look at verse two of chapter six. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. In other words, God is reminding Moses his great name. He's already revealed himself through the burning bush, as you recall, who he is. But for some reason, after months or after struggles and after the people rejecting Moses, he forgets this, that God is in control, that God is the Lord. And so God is reminding him and confirming to him that he is the Lord. And he reminds Moses of his great name, and the name there. Whenever you see capital L-O-R, or yeah, L-O-R-D, whenever you see the capitals there, we're not talking about a king of a country or a lord over people. We're talking about God, and this is the way the Hebrews would would relay the name of God. Now, the Hebrews used a four-letter word. We use the four-letter word Lord. They use a totally different word, but it pronounces itself Yahweh, and that's the most um, uh, uh, prevalent pronunciation, Yahweh, it, it means existing one. I am the existing one, and you'll remember I did a little Bible study on that when we were in chapter 3, uh, when Moses was before the burning bush. You can look at that if you want to. It's chapter 3, verse 14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel that I am, has sent me to you. So God shows up to Moses, and Moses has kind of like been rejected. He doesn't know what to do. And what am I? He's got these questions. And God says, Listen, he says, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord, and you've got to get your eyes back on me. So he's confirming his name. And when God says that He is the I am in, in chapter 3 in the bush and here in, in Yahweh, when God say, says that, he's basically saying that there's no one equal to me. I am, I am the authority, I am the God. That's what he's really saying there. There's no one equivalent to me. Again, that's the idea behind the, the I am statement of God. So God becomes whatever we need. I am your helper. I am your Finances. I am your uh, help when you're sorrow filled. Uh, I am. I'm becoming. I'm the becoming one. And by the way, Jesus identified himself in the same way. And I, I made that point when we were in chapter three. But I just want to remind you again of it. In John eight fifty eight, here's a verse here behind me on the screen. Jesus said to them, "Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, notice what he says, I am." And then John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. So these great I am statements that we're seeing in the Old Testament are the same statements that Jesus makes in the New Testament. Jesus Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the bread of life. I am the door. Over and over, Jesus made these statements. Here in Exodus chapter 6, and verse 2, God confirms his name. Because something big is just about to happen. Not just in Moses' life, but, but in the two million lives of the children of Israel that are now enslaved in Egypt. And as we come to verse 3, the next point here is that God confirms his promise. First, God confirms his name. Secondly, God confirms his promise. Notice what he says. I appeared, first he says, I am the Lord, and then he says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, or El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, or Jehovah, you could a lot of people use that term as well, the Lord in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D, I was not known to them. So he says, they knew me as El Shaddai, but they don't know me the way I'm going to reveal myself to you. Now he's not saying that they didn't know him before. He's just saying they don't know what I'm going to do. They knew me as El Shaddai. They knew me. They know me as Almighty God, but they don't know what I'm about to do. Back in Genesis chapter four, we see this, and let me show you real quick on the screen. Genesis 4:26. Then men begin to call in the name of the Lord, Again, the Hebrew, those four capital letters. So God is not saying that the patriarchs didn't know him as God, but they didn't understand the meaning of the covenants. The covenants are now going to be revealed. The Abrahamic covenant is God's promise to Abraham, and God never goes back on his promise. He does what he says. He doesn't change. And he's made this promise to Abraham, and now he's going to fulfill it. But Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it wasn't fulfilled. They weren't in the land of milk and honey. They were down in Egypt. Remember, they, they actually traveled down. Abraham traveled down to Egypt a couple times, and, and then his son did. And, I mean, it was just really interesting the way that worked out as we studied uh, the book of Genesis. And now, here in the book of Exodus, we find the children of Israel are for. For 430 years, they've been there. They've been slaved. They've been enslaved. They've had the the taskmasters beating them to uh, create cities and build monoliths and and pyramids and all kinds of things that they had down in Egypt. So these people that are in Egypt, these uh, Israelite slaves, they know that, God is a covenant-making God, but they haven't seen the covenant, and God is about to reveal that covenant to them. He's going to lead them out of the land of Egypt and into the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. Moses and the generation of Exodus, the one we're looking at right now, are going to know God differently because he's going to fulfill his covenant. Abraham didn't know him that way. So that's really what this verse is talking about it. One commentator said this, God sent Moses to Egypt to declare a nature, not a name. That's an interesting thought. To, to declare the, what he was going to do, what he was going to be doing, not just his name like the patriarchs knew him as. So the name they knew, but the nature and what the Lord was about to do, they were going to experience all of that. These Israelites in Egypt, they're gonna experience his power, they're gonna experience his divine fiat and his ability that, the, through these miraculous, unexplainable, supernatural things that are gonna to happen to uh, move Pharaoh to harden his heart to finally, he'll kick the Israelites out of Egypt. So the patriarchs, they knew God's name was Yahweh Y-H-W-H. Let me put that up on the screen for you. 160 times you'll see this in the book of Genesis. And it's, every time it's there, it's written or expressed in the English as capital L-O-R-D, four letters, just like this, Yahweh, these four letters. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this because um, you'll hear this as you study the Bible, Yahweh. You've heard the term Jehovah-Jireh or jehovah Nisseh or and, and really, it should be pronounced Yahweh-Jireh, yahweh, yahweh uh, Nisse, or Yahweh-Kadesh, holy, Yahweh-Shalom, uh, peace. God is all of these different things. And that's how it's expressed in the Hebrew scriptures. The name of God is written with those four letters, YHWH. And the ancient Hebrews, they wouldn't use vowels to write the name of God, but they would say, and it's still questionable when you read linguists and textual criticism. I read a little bit today. I didn't get deep into it. I'm pretty shallow, but I, I have resources and I read. They would say Yahweh, but they wouldn't write Yahweh with Vowels. They would write it this way. This is how they expressed, by in written form, the name of God. It's called a tetragrammaton, and I think I have that. Do I have that word up there? No, I didn't put it up there. It's tetragrammaton, and a tetragrammaton is a word without vowels, and that's what you're seeing there: Y H W H. Because the Hebrews would not. They thought it was wrong to express the name on. Uh, by writing it out. So they would write this word that you're looking at here. And some would say the words that we've heard before, here they are, Yahweh, or others preferred, Jehovah. Those Those are the two words. There are those that argue for Jehovah. The problem with Jehovah, if you study Hebrew, there's no J. They don't use J in Hebrew. And so they say Yahweh or Jehovah, and that's what the four letters is expressed in the Hebrew. Um, they pass it down that way, and they, they write it and ex- express it that way. But there's always been a debate. And I have this little note here that biblical scholars and linguists tell us that the Jehovah is not even the proper pronunciation because there's no letter J in the ancient Hebrew. There's not a sound that goes along with J in Hebrew. So the Jehovah's Witnesses really have a problem with that because they use Jehovah exclusively. In fact, they'll use that title so much so that they believe using another title is actually idolatry or heretical in their view, Jehovah's Witnesses. Kind of interesting that when you study that language, J doesn't even show up. So that that is really um, they have a problem with that. But we as biblical Christians, we say Lord. We say it in the Old Testament, and we have that in the New Testament too. Jesus is Lord, and when we express our the uh, person God, we use the word God, or we use the, the name Lord, The either two names. And either one are, are just fine. As a Christian, you can use either one of those words. It's just you can choose one. You'll see it in the Bible. If the Holy Spirit revealed it in the Old Testament as Lord, you can say Lord, and it's revealed in the New Testament as Lord. The Holy Spirit's the writer of the text. So you can say either one, and you're fine uh, by using either one of those. But here's the point here in verse 3, going back to verse 3. Jehovah is revealing his nature in this verse. He's revealing his power. He's revealing who he is to Moses. And he's going to fulfill this covenant that he made with Abraham. That's the point here. That's why in verse 4, look at verse 4, he says, I've established my covenant with them. He's talking about the children of Israel. These are Jacob's offspring. Remember the 12 tribes that ended up in Egypt with Joseph. And so these are the people, the children of Israel, Jacob's kids. And God says to Moses, I've established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So this is really about the covenant. I am Lord, Moses, listen, I am Lord, get your eyes back on me, and I'm a covenant-keeping God. What I said to Abraham, I'm going to bring to pass. It's not going to happen the way you want it to happen, it's going to happen the way I want it to happen. I am God, I'm in charge. So God, he's remembered at the end of verse 5 there, he remembers his covenant, but when we read that in the Bible, we go, well, what, what did God forget? Did God forget? Was he busy in some cosmic place out in the star, you know, reaches of space, and and he forgot? No, God didn't forget. We forget. We're the ones that forget God's promise, but God never forget. God remembers. And he sang there when he says, I've remembered. That's always a phrase that comes right before the words, I'm about to act. So really when it says he remembers, that means get ready because he's going to do something. I remembered, and that means I'm going to act right now. That's really what we're seeing here. Now, let me make some application just for a moment. When you find yourself in trouble, racing to church, you're late, and you come burning down baseline, and all of a sudden a red light comes on behind you. (laughs) And you get a funny feeling. Am I the only one? You get a funny feeling. Something's wrong. There's a problem here. Maybe you're busted telling a lie. Somebody catches you at that. And the first thing we want to do is find a way out of this right away. We try to make excuses. Well, everyone's going this fast, or the light turned too quick, or, you know, we've, we've all been there before. We try to plan our strategy to get ourselves out of the, whatever the mess is. Moses, think about it, he's just been rejected by the people. He obeyed God, went before Pharaoh, didn't want to do it, but he did it obediently. And then Pharaoh makes life hard for all his brothers and sisters, so much so that they reject his leadership. So Moses is in trouble. And God says to Moses, listen, Moses, you need to look at me. You need to keep your eyes on me. I want you to look at me and recognize who I am. I am the Lord, is what he told him. And I believe that when we're in trouble, maybe it's not with the sheriff or the CHP coming down baseline, but when we're in trouble and we have that, I did something wrong, we need to make sure that we go right to the Lord. And we just confess it to the Lord. When you're in a pickle and you're wondering what to do, you've got to look to God, Christians, We've all been there. I could give you a bunch of examples in my own life, but I've got to keep my eyes on the Lord too. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, a great memory verse for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge who? Who are you to acknowledge? Who are you to look at? Who are you to keep your focus and vision on? The Lord, on him. Keep your eyes on him, and he then will direct your paths. Moses, he got his eyes off the Lord, and the Lord says, I'm the Lord. Get your eyes back on me. That's really the, the application here. And That's what, exactly what God's doing with Moses. Moses, I'm here to deliver my people, not you. You're just the messenger boy. I'm going to do this work. And let me tell you who I am again, Moses. Let me remind you about my name. I am who I am. I'm here to redeem So God confirms his name. That's really my point there. The third thing that we see is God confers his blessings in verse 6. Look at verse 6. Again, you'll see this, and and this is a really interesting section. From verse 6 to verse 8, God is going to encourage uh, not only Moses, because Moses is going to bring this message back to the people. He's going to encourage Moses and all of these people, all the elders, remember the foremen, the elders of uh, Israel, And he's going to use seven, it's interesting, seven I will statements. That's what we're going to look at now. We're going to look at these seven I will pledges or promises from the Lord here. And he's making these promises. He starts with his name, and he gives these promises here. Notice with me in verse 6, I will, God says to Moses, bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will, verse 7, take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And verse 8, I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will... Give it to you as a heritage. And then he ends with, I love this, I am the Lord. I can just, I know, he's emphasizing that to Moses. Why? Because Moses says, oh, the things around me are overwhelming. I'm having a hard time. And God says, look at me. I am God. Trust in me. Look to me. That's what God is, is doing here. Now, let me just quickly go over these and just make simple application. The first I will, and we'll, I'll put them up here. I will bring you out, verse 6. The Lord promises there he's going to bring them out. The Lord is going to bring them. They're not going to bring themselves out. Pharaoh's not going to bring them out. It's the Lord that's doing this work of delivering or rescuing his people. Number two, he says, I'll rescue you. It's a great Hebrew word, by the way, nostal. Nostal, it means to deliver, to rescue, or to save. So God is going to come and be the Savior. He's going to save his people. He's going to bring them out. He's going to rescue them. Number three, I will redeem you. That's at the end of verse six. That word "redeem" comes from the word "goal" or "goel." You might recognize that that word as the kinsman redeemer. God's the Father. These are His children, and He's going to redeem them. You might recognize as Jesus, the goel. He became, God became man so he could die on the cross. He became one of us so he could deliver us. He's our goel. I will redeem you. So many similarities here when you read these I will statements to Jesus. They're just unbelievably similar here. And then number four, I will take you as my people. This speaks of adoption. They turned away in their sin. They've lived in sin, Egypt, sin. They've been living there in sin. They've been comfortable there. They don't even know it. They're they're burdened, but they don't even know it. They're not looking at God. And God says, I'm going to take you as my people. I'm going to adopt you. Jesus does the same thing in our lives. We become sons and daughters of God. We're adopted. It's a beautiful truth about the child of God. God is going to transform his people. One of the authors I read, and I really like this thought, especially knowing the time of year we're in, he calls this the Emmanuel principle. Emmanuel is the word that means God with us. God has always wanted to be with his people, but we have sinned and we have have, um, fallen away from God by our own decisions and will and choice. But God has always wanted to be with his people. And God does all he can to redeem his people, to gather them back, to adopt them back. And he says, I will take you as my people. I I love the fact that God has always wanted to redeem his people. And he always works to do it. Throughout the Bible, you see that about God. Sin has separated you and I from God. But God sent his son to reconcile us back. It's all a work of God, just like it is here in Exodus. It's God working. God's going to deliver his people, not Pharaoh. God's going to harden Pharaoh's heart so Pharaoh will finally kick him out, but it's all God's doing, and God is going to do that work. Not the people, not Moses, but God. I love the fact that as a New Testament Christian, I've been redeemed. Jesus is my Goel. He, it's his blood that redeems me. He's my kinsman redeemer. I've been adopted into the family of God, as I've already mentioned. And this very next I will, number five, is really interesting. Notice what God declares. He said, I will be your God. And I love that because what that speaks of is a personal God, not just a religious God, not an icon that we all bow before, an idol. God wants a personal relationship, and he does that through his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful truth? God promises, I will be your God. You're my chosen people. God's going to show his power to Pharaoh. He's going to do all this wonderful work. He remembered, meaning he's going to act and he's going to do it in such a powerful way, no one's going to argue that it was God. And notice in verse 7, the second portion there, then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'll be your God. I love that. Number six. I will bring you into the land. I will bring you into the land. That's in verse 8. And this is really God's central purpose here, isn't it? He has made a covenant to Abraham to give him multiple people. Remember, Abraham, look up in the stars in heaven. Even though you have no children offspring, your kids are going to be, can you number those stars? Or how about the sand on the seashore? Abraham, can you number that? Abraham's like, no, I, I can't even. Your family, your offspring are gonna be as numerous as the sand, as numerous as the stars. Abraham doesn't have any children. And Abraham believes God and it was counted to him for righteousness. He believes God, he has faith in God, and God's made a covenant with him. One day you're gonna have, and now in Egypt there's two million Egyptian uh, uh, slaves, not Egyptian, but Israelite slaves. They're in Egypt, and God's going to get them back to the promised land. So, I will bring you into a land, verse 8. That's the covenantal promise that God made with Abraham. And notice how God puts it here. I will bring you into the land, which, I love this. There's imagery here. I swore to give to Abraham. What does that make you think of? I, uh, I don't want to reveal too much. If you go into a courtroom... And, and uh, you, have to, you have to pledge something that you're going to tell the truth. What do they do? You put your hand on the Bible and you put one hand in the air, right? And you make a pledge. Now, God doesn't have to do that kind of pledge, but in my mind, I see this. This is a pledge. God swore to Abraham. He said, listen, I swear by myself that I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham. I love that imagery there, the pledge that God makes. He's fulfilling his word. And then number seven, I will give it to you. He says that's a heritage there at the end of verse eight. But Moses had to go back and he's going to tell the elders who are going to relay it to the rest of the children of Israel that are slaved, that God is going to do something that we could never even think. He's going to free us. He's going to deliver us. Number one, He's going to deliver us from slavery and bondage. Number two, God's going to deliver them somewhere to the special land. He's going to deliver His people, His own, His chosen, to a special land. And then at the very end of verse eight, I love the way it's, God concludes these seven I wills here with His covenant keeping name I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. There can't be no argument at this point. And, and again, I love this text. It's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful text. But here's some quick application here. God is calling Moses, and through Moses, when, they, when Moses relayed the 7 eye wills, he's calling these people to trust in his name, to trust in his character, to get their eyes back on the Lord. I, I love that. Because it doesn't matter what you're struggling with. I got something big in my life right now I'm struggling with. And as I study this scripture, the Lord tells me, I got this. But, but Lord, I'm just like you, right? But, but, but Lord, this is really big, Lord. I got this. Keep your eyes on me. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, God has it. He, he can handle it. When we get our eyes on the Lord, then we stop worrying. When we get our eyes on the Lord, our situations change. We, we're to stop wrestling. We're to stop whirling, uh, worrying. pardon me, And we're to remember that God is in control. We need to trust in his name. That's what he's conveying here to Moses. Now, in verse 9, notice the people reject Moses. And he goes back with the 7 I wills, and he conveys those 7 I wills to them. Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. Aaron, his brother, is a spokesman to Pharaoh. Remember, because Moses was, I don't have eloquent speak. I, I really don't know how to speak to the Pharaoh. And God says, okay, well, Aaron's going to be like God to you. It's really interesting. Or, I mean, Pardon me, you're going to be like God to Aaron. In other words, you're going to convey the message to the Pharaoh. You're going to convey the message to the people. In this case, it was Moses who spoke. And he shared those seven I wills, but they did not heed Moses, verse 9, because, why? Notice what it says, anguish of spirit, or they were out of breath, they were working so hard, they didn't have time to even think about what Moses is, like Moses saying, well God said I will, Uh, God said he's going to do this and make it, you know, they're so busy working, they're not even getting it, it says because of the anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So Moses is being faithful here to share the message but all the pain and the slavery and the whips of the taskmasters are drowning out the truth of the message from Moses and they didn't listen because they were shortness of breath and getting beaten up really but God tells Moses to stick with the plan and I love this verse 10 and so the Lord spoke to Moses, because Moses probably came back. I tried to tell them, God, but they don't, they, they've rejected me again. They're not listening. And the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 10, saying, Go in to Pharaoh. Do it again. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to the, let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. What he's saying there in uncircumcised lips, he's saying, I, I, some get the stuttering from this. I, 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 I don't know what to say. I, I mean, some say that that's what that means. It, it seems like, uh, you know, when I read this again, Moses first says, I, I don't have eloquent speech. Now he says, says, I don't have uncircumcised lips. You know, I, I'm struggling with what I have to say here. And then verse 13, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land. So God's relentless here. He just says, just do it. Just do it. Go back to Moses. Tell the people over. Tell them again and again and again and again. Don't stop. We just don't know what the timetable was. Was this days, weeks, months, years? We're not sure. But God has already had to remind Moses again and again to go back, to go back, to go back. And that's what he's doing here. Now, in verses 14 through 27, if you're a great uh, linguist and you, if you pronounce names right, you can go right ahead. There's some real interesting names. They're actually fun to read. I like some of the names. But this is really just a genealogy of Moses and Aaron. There's only the, the three sons of of uh, Jacob that are mentioned here, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And all three of those were a problem, if you remember our study. Those, those were the guys that, that did the bad stuff. And, uh, but Moses comes from that family lineage, and that's what that section is all about. But jump down to verse 28, and it came to pass, on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, verse 29, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. So you're reminding him again, his name. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. And how shall Pharaoh heed me? So how many months went by, weeks? It doesn't say. Gives us this genealogy and then the same thing. Moses is still struggling here with saying what he's supposed to say to the Lord. Again, this whole event in exodus is a demonstration that god is in control that god has power that we're to keep our eyes on the lord and not look at the surrounding situation that's really what the story of exodus is and that god always keeps his promise and he's a covenant keeping god he makes covenants And he keeps those covenants. Whatever promises God has made to you, and he reminds you of when you are struggling, you have to hold on to the promise and let go of the struggle. You have to hold on to the promise because God never goes back on his promise. He's a covenant keeping God. These people, we know the story, right? We've read this story. They're all going to be delivered from Egypt in a miraculous way. They're going to travel to the promised land. They're going to witness miracles. The Red Sea is going to part. They're going to be provided with manna day by day. The, the rock is going to gush out water. Whenever they have a need, there's a, a cloud giving them cover by day, and there's fire at night, God's night light, you know, to protect them. It's a miraculous deliverance that they're going to go through. And the truth is, it's all done by a powerful, wonderful, gracious, loving, and a, a God that you can trust in his name. That's what this text is about. I love this study in Exodus. Let's pray. Father, I just pray tonight that as we look at this text, that you would encourage any here that are struggling And Lord, I have something in front of me right now that's really looming. Help me to keep my eyes on you, Lord. Help us as a people to keep you first and keep looking at you. Lord, may the words of Solomon and Proverbs 2 just light up our heart and mind, trusting in the Lord with all our heart, not leaning on our own understanding, but but acknowledging you, trusting you, Lord, and then direction coming from you. Lord, we trust in your name. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would encourage the hearts of these, your people. Help us, Lord, with our problems and our struggles and our daily activities to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. To give you thanks, Lord, and to give you praise for all that you bring into our lives. For you are only good. We trust you and we love you. In Jesus we pray. Amen.